This week on A Lively Experiment, early voting is underway. How many will take advantage of it? And how many will be taking out mail ballots? Plus, Senate hearings are underway for a Supreme Court nominee. We sit down with the former dean of the Roger Williams University Law School for his take on the future of the court. A Lively Experiment is generously underwritten by... For more than 30 years, A Lively Experiment has provided insight and analysis of important political issues that face Rhode Islanders. I'm John Hazen White, Jr., and I'm proud to support this great program in Rhode Island PBS. Joining us with their insights, attorney and legal analyst Lou Polner, Susie Yankee, chairwoman for the Rhode Island Republican Party, and former chairman of the state Democratic Party, Bill Lynch. Hello, everyone. I'm Jim Hummel. It is great to have you with us this week. Well, there were two major milestones for voters in Rhode Island. On Tuesday, it was the cutoff to apply for a mail ballot application. And then on Wednesday, something new to Rhode Islanders, early voting, something that the Board of Elections doesn't officially like to call it. We'll talk about that in a bit. We'll see the results of both of these things when the numbers are tabulated just about three weeks from now. So let me begin with you. The GOP, going back a couple of months, took some issue with a relaxing of requirements on mail ballots. Now we have early voting. I'm wondering as we head into the home stretch uh, to the general election, how you're feeling about where we are with voting in Rhode Island. Well, first of all, I think our objection was that our voter rolls are not clean. So when you want to go to a mail ballot or early voting, we wanted to make sure our voter rolls are clean. And they just weren't. We've had instances where people were getting mail ballot applications to dead residents, to residents of children that had left more than 20 years ago. And yesterday, I actually had a phone call from someone who said their cat got a mail ballot application. I promptly asked her if her cat's name was Sniffles. She said, no, it was Joshua. So I said, well, at least it's a real person's name. But those are the objections that we had. And we also feel that when you're using mail ballots, um, I kudos to the state of Rhode Island that you actually have to ask for a mail ballot application. That is very different than universal mail ballot hand-ins where everybody just gets a live ballot. So it is one proper procedure that we believe in the Rhode Island GOP that Rhode Island does do correctly. Um, but still, you know, with uh, the amount of errors that could happen with mail ballots, we were encouraging everybody to vote in person. So we have no objection to early voting. We think that that is a good option for people that may be worried about standing in line on election day, but the best and safest way for people to vote, we believe, is vote in person. Yeah, and you know, I think that's gonna happen. The numbers were in, the Board of Elections was expecting 375 to 400,000 mail ballots. They only got a little less than 200,000. Bill, let me ask you, it's funny, the Board of Elections also does not refer to it as early voting. They said that's nowhere in the legislation. They call it emergency ballots up to 20 days before. So it may be a distinction without a difference, but that's a nice tool though for voters to have. And a lot of them took advantage of it on the first day on Wednesday. Well, look, the, the of all the bad things that have happened with this uh, COVID situation and they're across the board, there are a few, uh, unfortunately, some good things are gonna come out of this as well. And I think one of them is gonna be not only this election cycle, but going forward, we're gonna see uh, more and more uh, early voting, more and more mail ballot voting. 
because despite, you know, and I, I respect Sue's uh, job here in Rhode Island, but nationally, <clears throat> this business of the Republican Party nationally claiming that there's some huge voter fraud that's going to occur because of mail voting led by soon to be ex-President Trump is ridiculous. There's no evidence to support that. Several states in our military have voted by mail uh, for decades and decades. And I think one thing we're going to see is an increase of that going forward. There's no reason we should be restricted to voting in person and on a Tuesday uh, in the state of Rhode Island or anywhere anymore. So I think our job, uh, everybody's job after we get through this election and the dust settles is to really sit down. We should have a national committee to, to figure out how we can expand and make it easier for people to vote, not harder. We should make it easier for people to vote. Lou? I'm just grateful that the Board of Elections uh, voted yesterday to uh, disallow and not count any ballots that don't come in on or before November 3rd. Uh, I think that would have been a very slippery slope if they were to say we can receive ballots after Election Day uh, and we're going to count them. The reality is, is we've been voting in person or by mail ballot uh, forever. And the reality is, is that if the vote means that much to you, you will either uh, make sure your ballot is in by November 3rd, not just postmarked, but delivered to the Board of Elections by November 3rd, or you can go and wait in line yourself. Uh, you know, it was interesting. Yesterday, there were people waiting to vote at Providence City Hall, and the line was about an hour long. I never spend more than 15 minutes in line on election day. So I, I think some people are uh, conflating uh, whether their vote counts or not by getting in line now. And I think some of them are just wasting their time. So what about to Bill's point? Um, I, I know there have been glitches here. You know, Joshua the cat, which is outrageous, gets the application. But as to the narrative that you hear on the national level about widespread voter fraud. Do you agree with that or do you think that's a little overblown? So it's interesting. I was talking to the secretary of states in some of the western states who happen to be Democrats and they actually do do a good job with mail ballots but they said it takes between five and eight years to perfect that system and our objection is Nelly Gorbea in 90 days tried to change the system. I think the most important thing is how to educate people um, my phone has been ringing off the hook with people that don't actually understand what they're supposed to do. We saw 5,000 ballots, mail ballots, that were rejected from the September primary, probably because people didn't sign their ballots or they didn't put them in the envelopes correctly. Um, that's really a form of voter suppression when people don't understand the process. So I think that the educating the public is probably the most seminal important part of voting. And we have really changed or altered or expanded how people vote. I don't think it's a bad idea. We never really object here in the Rhode Island GOP to different forms and different options of voting, but really have to educate the public. Um, and certainly there were over 9,700 applications and ballots from the September primary that are unaccounted for. So whether people didn't mail them in or they didn't mail them in in time, um, those are problems. And we want to make sure that every vote counts. We want to make it easier to vote, but harder to cheat. Well, not every vote is going to count. Uh, as we know from the September 8th primary here in Rhode Island, uh, what was it, Sue? 175 ballots arrived the day after Election Day uh, or primary day, and they were disallowed. So people are going to be disenfranchised by taking advantage of this mail-in ballot, because I don't think they truly understand, and I agree with Sue, 
education is very, very important because if there were 175 ballots that came in late on primary day, how many thousands and thousands are there going to be on November 4th and 5th that aren't going to be counted? Bill, what about that? Uh, Lou had mentioned it, and the governor has been, so far, has not uh, answered the call of a, probably more than a dozen groups asking to consider mail ballots that come in the 4th, the 5th, the 6th, for whatever reason. She's, and the Board of Elections just said the other day, we're not going to, so short of an executive order, that's not going to happen. Do you think whatever the end of business on election day should be it, or do you think it should be extended out a little bit, given our circumstances? Well, I mean, <clears throat> I think it's a catch-22. I think that going forward, I think this is a unique uh, election cycle, whether we want to admit it or not. Nothing is as it's been in the past um, because of the pandemic. So everybody, I think, nationally, including here in Rhode Island, is doing the best they can under adverse circumstances. And I think Nellie Gorbea has done a great job in trying to uh, charter these uh, difficult waters here in Rhode Island to get us through this election cycle. After this cycle is over, and, and to, to Lou's point, the decision's been made as to what ballots will be counted, and that's, that's the way it is, and people are gonna have to live with that. I think people are aware of that. Are there gonna be some ballots that probably come in, in late and don't get counted? I think that that will happen, but you know, we don't know how many of those people would have voted at all if there was no bail, mail ballot voting. Maybe they would have just stayed home. So I think we have to wait and see what the facts are after this election, how many people voted actually, how many people voted by mail. And then I think we really need to dig in. I think it should be a nonpartisan issue, both here in Rhode Island and nationally. We need to figure out a better voting system so that we can encourage people to vote and not do things like have poll watchers and claim that there's fraud and try to disenfranchise people in advance of an election and make them think that there's all kinds of conspiracies to defeat the electoral process. And our president's been the, been the, the first person to say that. So I think when he's gone and, and we have a committee that can look at this going forward, I think it's a great opportunity for us to establish a voting system that's going to keep us in the forefront uh, as a democratic society in the world, which we're not right now. Yeah, I think after the 2000 election, we had the HAVA Act in 2002 that talked about upgrading our technology. Um, and I think that needs to happen again. The one area that they did not touch with the HAVA Act is the mail balloting. So I said there's so many different uh, terms between absentee balloting and mail balloting that I agree with Bill, we need to come together in a bipartisan fashion to talk about all the problems or any issues that occur with the mail balloting. So again, we have to redo HAVA, not just talk about the technology, but talk about mail balloting. How do we make that secure? How do we make people feel as if their vote counts? Wait a minute, let me get that. Let's see what the timestamp is that I agree with Bill. I, by the way, I've already got that recorded and it's already gone out to the national press. <laughs> uh, listen, I've done this with every panel. You guys, Sue and Lou, I don't know whether I've uh, done this with you before. Bill, this is your first time on. How do you plan to vote in the election this year? Early voting? Have you taken out a mail ballot application or are you going to go in person? Bill, let's start with you. I, I already voted uh, by mail ballot. Took oh, me, you did? Took both in the primary and the general election. It took me five minutes. Um, so it was a piece of cake. It was well done. Uh, it was safe. Um, I was very happy with it. So was everybody in my house. Well, trust that the Pawtucket uh, post office can get it there in three weeks. We can only hope. I, I hand delivered mine just to make sure. I well, wanted just, to make sure that my vote canceled out Lou Poland's vote. <laughs> well, you know, Lou, what, what about Lou, what about you? 
Well, you know, it's funny, and, and to Bill's point, uh, he, he wanted to go with the mail ballot, that's fine, but what did he just tell you he did? He wanted to make sure his vote counted, so he delivered it in person. And I think there's a lot that is behind that statement, which uh, probably could entail another half hour discussion. But to your question, uh, Jim, I will vote in, purpose, uh, in person because I want to make sure my vote counts. Right. So what about you? I am voting on November 3rd. It's the Super Bowl for me. I like to vote in person. I think there's something about showing up on Election Day. Um, there's so much energy from both parties, the, it, people standing outside holding signs, promoting their candidates. So I love voting in person on that day. And I did it uh, for the primary and it was clean, efficient, and it probably only took me 15 seconds. Will you be uh, will you be bringing a big bowl of chips and dip for uh, Election Day if it's your Super Bowl? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Chili. I make chili for the Super Bowl. I just want All right. to help. I hope that we're going to have people holding signs outside the polling places, not those special forces holding guns that the National Republican Party is. Oh, here we go. Let's oh, let's yeah. uh, let's uh, we'll, holding signs. It's always such a great day. Uh, all right. We'll we'll save that. For, we'll save that for later in the show. Uh, late last week, the trial of uh, top campaign ad for Speaker Mattiello, Jeff Britt. That trial wrapped up. It was a five-day trial, very illuminating, kind of uh, pulling back the, uh, peeling back the onion on, I think, what some people know or have suspected about how campaigns are run. There's a lot to unpack here. The major question is, how is this going to affect the speaker's campaign? He's in a very tight race. Well, we don't know if it's tight, but it's a very aggressive campaign by Barbara and Fenton Fung. Lou, let me start with you. Looking at this, it just there was a there was a lot that he probably didn't want to come out. But when you put your hand up on the stand, you got to tell the truth. So, what were your takeaways from that trial last week? I think it just confirmed what a lot of people always uh, believe to be true: that politics is a very dirty animal. Uh, I mean, the fact that they were uh, investigating and tailing. Uh, his opponent to see if they could find out any juice on him. Uh, and, and just the fact that uh, the monies and how they were paid and cash was used, it's just, it was very illuminating. I don't know if it's going to have much impact on the trial, only because most people don't get the journal. Maybe people weren't uh, really getting uh, to listen to the testimony. And the fact is, is all politics are local. And I think the only people that uh, the speaker cares about are those in his district. Bill, does this put any gum on his shoe? Well, I, you know, listen, I don't think it was anybody's best hour. Um, uh, I was very disappointed, I'll say, on a, on a similar issue. I've always subscribed to this sort of unwritten rule over the years that no uh, government agency, particularly uh, the prosecution, whether it's the U.S. attorney or the attorney general's office, would schedule a trial right before an election for the simple reason that you don't want to, whatever the result, it's always been sort of an unwritten rule that you don't want to do something that affects an election. So I'm disappointed that this trial had to be scheduled, you know, three weeks before the election instead of six weeks earlier or, you know, a month later. That's that's new uh, to the system. And I don't think it's a good idea um, with respect. Is that kind of, actually, Bill, Bill, is that kind of like having uh, an impeachment trial in the Senate, U.S. Senate for the president in an election year? Do you hold it to the same uh, standard? Well, I don't think I'm not talking about a year, but, you know, when you get when you get to be three weeks out from an election, historically in Rhode Island, there's never been an instance that I'm aware of. And I've talked to a lot of other lawyers. I've been doing this for a long time. Nobody can tell me of another instance when 
something like that was scheduled so close to an election. It's just never been done. It's not illegal, obviously, because it took place. I don't think it's fair to anybody on either side of those cases. Uh, and with respect to this, to this particular case, you know, I tuned in at one point to try to watch some of it for my own sort of professional interest. And at the time I looked, there was a there was a hundred and one people, I think it was, that were that were following it. So it's not like this had some huge following across the state, and everybody was glued to to their computer to see what happened. And I think that the point uh, made earlier that that the uh, speaker, uh, his race will be decided by people in his district in Cranston, as it should be. I don't think that they were following this, um, frankly, and. I think that they'll make a decision and reelect Nick Mattiello because he's what what he's delivered to to his district in Cranston and to into the state, particularly with getting rid of the contact. So I I don't we'll see. I don't think this trial is going to have a huge influence on that race uh, one way or another. So. Oh, I absolutely disagree. And first of all, holding the trial close to the election, you already voted, Bill. So I'm sure people in. Mattiello's district have already cast their ballots, so did it have that much of an impact? But second of all, um, I think that it, we deserve better in Rhode Island. We've had a series of speakers now that have been embroiled around corruption. I think Barbara Ann Fenton, we're going to be calling her the speaker slayer on November 4th, that she's going to take him out. Uh, people de definitely deserve better. They deserve more transparency. As far as the trial is concerned, the first couple of days, I thought it was a nothing burger. Je Jeff Britt was going around telling people, just wait until I get on the stand. He didn't. He did not. Uh, he needed to cooperate or, or uh, talk about uh, the witnesses being something different. Um, but it did show the underside, the underbelly. I mean, the fact that Nick Mattiello hired a private investigator to follow Steve Frias around. Steve is the most even keeled, uh, I'm sorry, I'm going to say Steve, boring person in the world. That he actually hired somebody to follow him around is offensive. Um, you just don't do that to your opponents. You fight on the issues. You talk about what you're going to do different. I think it's going to have a very negative impact on the race for speaker. But the people in Cranston, you deserve better than that. You deserve better than someone spending $200,000 on a local race and hiring a private investigator. I yeah, but Sue, you, so you talk about the super slayer. Be, be careful what you wish for. If Nick Mattiello, and I'm not pro or anti-Nick Mattiello, but the theory goes, if he gets taken out, the whole progressive wing coming in uh, on the Democratic side, you don't know what you're going to get for a speaker. The criminal activity that is surrounding Nick Mattiello, you can't say that someone better. I mean, Joe Shikarsky is probably the next in line. Will he be better? Will he work more with the minority party? I mean, Nick Mattiello is running a monarchy up there. Um, actually, they're absent. He's not running anything. He's letting the governor become the monarch here. So I think that anything is going to be better than having another corrupt speaker in Rhode Island. I All right, let me become known as the state. No, of I want to say is that, that as we go through an election cycle, this is still America. And the allegation that there's some criminal behavior at this point is absolutely not accurate. And I think it's unfair to everybody. Let's wait, see what the judge decides. There's only one person on trial in that case, and it was uh, Jeff Britt. Uh, not Nick Mattiello and nobody else associated with him. So, you know, it's easy to say that there have been past speakers who have had issues and they have, we're all aware of that. 
But we've had governors, Republican governors, that have been convicted of criminal behavior. That doesn't mean that every Republican or every governor since then has been uh, involved in criminal activity. So this guilt by association is a dangerous thing. I don't think it's fair to anybody. Bill, I got to hold you there. Uh, let's move to uh, the uh, hearings for uh, Justice, uh, Judge Amy Coney Barrett this week. I had a chance to sit down with the former dean of the Rhode Island uh, Roger Williams Law School, Michael Yelnoski. He had some thoughts about, it looks like this is going to go through, but he had some thoughts about what the court's going to look like going ahead if she is confirmed. Here's some of my interview with the professor. When the news broke, uh, I thought there would be more Republican senators saying this is inconsistent with what we were doing with Merrick Garland. But when it was clear that it was just Senators Collins and Murkowski, um, and given what has happened over the last couple of days in the hearings, it's, it's clear that this is going to go through. The Republican Party, they've got the votes. They know they can do this. and. This is extraordinarily important to their base. This vacancy in particular is a vacancy that was filled by a reliable liberal vote on the court. So this really swings the ideological balance on the court. So will she be a vote to overrule you have been willing to reconsider abortion restrictions that other Republican appointed judges found unconstitutional. Will she be a vote to overrule Obergefell? The, that's the same-sex marriage decision. It's entirely possible that she will be a vote to strike down the ACA. I think predicting precisely what judges, even those with a track record as sitting judges already are going to do when they're faced with real individual cases before the court is a, um, it's a difficult thing to do. What I found interesting was Professor Yelnoski told me later, now think of this, Barack Obama two terms, George W. Bush two terms, and Bill Clinton two terms only had two selections each. So this President Trump has gotten three selections a major reshaping of the court. Lou, let me begin with you uh, so you can answer this too. The whole issue of, they said during the election year, Merrick Garland, but then now that uh, circumstances have changed because it's a Republican president or Republican-controlled uh, Senate. What about that? Is that a double standard going forward with this confirmation? It's complete hypocrisy. And uh, anybody sitting on the right side of the aisle would have to acknowledge that uh, very openly. There's no denying that uh, Lindsey Graham, I mean, we've all seen the tape. He said if this were to happen uh, now uh, under a Republican president, they would hold off like they did with uh, Garland four years ago. Uh, the reality is, is that uh, in the words of our former President Obama, uh, elections have consequences. And uh, this is one of them. So what about that? What about the, uh, the, the allegations of double standard here so close to an election? Well, there's, there's absolutely no dispute that, that Lindsey Graham is a snake, <laughs> and, the, and the, the tapes confirm it. I mean, it's to, Lou is right. I mean, the, the hypocrisy is unbelievable, but um, they don't care. And, you know, this obviously is an important seat for the Republicans. And look, at, I think it's a terrible, personally, I think it's a terrible uh, nomination. I think it's a terrible selection. But the fact of the matter is, and I've had this, dis I've had this discussion with with good friends of mine, including a lot of Democrats from the last election who didn't get out and vote 
because they were uh, big Bernie Sanders supporters and, and weren't crazy about Hillary Clinton. And my response is that great, you know, be, but because of that happening across the country, that changed the election and elections do have consequences. And the one thing you learn, or I learned early on in this business is the most important thing to be able to do is to be able to count votes. And, and I think that Senator Reid and Senator Whitehouse and others have done a great job of pointing out the, the fallacies of this nomination. But the truth of the matter is that the Republican Party, whether you like it or not, have the votes to have this nomination go through and she is going to be confirmed to the Supreme Court. So I say to all those people out there now who are thinking that maybe I don't have time to vote or I'm not gonna vote in this election, elections have significant consequences and this is a perfect example. Had people got out and voted in big numbers in Wisconsin and Ohio and Pennsylvania and some of these swing states four years ago, we likely would not have uh, Miss Barrett being the nominee for this seat. So. Everybody better get out and vote. We're going to all. Quick question, I, Bill. I have a quick question for you. If uh, she is on the bench uh, come election time, uh, but Biden wins in the election for president, are you in favor of packing the Supreme Court to make it more balanced, uh, Democrat Republican? I and I am not speaking for the Democratic Party at, at this point. I am not in favor of that, and I think Joe Biden has said we got to go slow on that issue. And the, and the reason is this, and I've said this before, Lou. Everything that happens now, these things go in cycles, right? So when we got rid of the filibuster, you know, at that time, I said, look, it's going to come back to haunt us because it may work now, but it's going to also swing around. So packing the court, you know, is that a temporary fix? Does it make people feel better? But, but there will be a time, it won't be in, in this January, but there'll come a time that there'll be another Republican president. And then we're back with facing the same thing and the, and the Republicans. Yeah, let me let let me let Sue jump in. Go ahead, Sue. Thanks, Bill. I know you're Irish and you like to talk, but let me weigh in on this. You know, I agree with the two gentlemen that the hypocrisy is is nuts and it was going to come back by the ass. But she is a terrific candidate. I mean, she's gotten well qualified from the American Bar Association and certainly the grace under fire that she showed during these hearings. Even Senator Dianne Feinstein was very impressed with her. She well, Grace, Grace, Grace under fire, she didn't answer any questions. No, she was very, I mean, did you hear the questions? And I mean, certainly when Senator Whitehouse, I, my phone was blowing up about something. Right, right but would you agree that, the, that there should be a peaceful transfer of power? Well, I'd have to research that. Come on. You know, all the judges, even Justice Ginsburg, Ginsburg, when she went through her hearings, they don't answer hypothetical questions. But she is truly a well-qualified jurist. She absolutely is. And out of, uh, during election years, there were 19 times that a Supreme Court justice was put up, and 17 of them went through. So I agree. The Republicans made a big mistake with Merrick Garland. They should have given him the hearings. They should have allowed that to go through. But Amy Comey Barrett is certainly a well-qualified jurist. And you absolutely don't know. I agree with the professor. You absolutely don't know how they're going to vote when they get up there on the Supreme Court. A lot of them surprise you. All right, you guys, we, Donald I'm blowing, Trump, I'm blowing Donald through. Trump sees this, this tape, Sue. You're going to get fired. <laughs> Maybe. Uh, guys, I blew through outrageous because I wanted to get to this topic. Uh, Lou, I'm going to give you the last 30 seconds on this, on the Supreme Court, and ultimately how is this going to affect the election and all the way people have seen this handled by the Republicans? 
great question. I think she absolutely will be uh, come the next justice of the Supreme Court. And uh, I just, I, I, the problem I have, and this is a real problem, is that all of the questioning by the Democratic senators are grilling her uh, about the ACA and uh, making sure that it doesn't get overturned. But not one of those senators is concerned with the fact of whether or not it's constitutional. So even if it's unconstitutional, they don't want it changed. And I think that's a very short-sighted view of how uh, these people ought to be uh, vetted and then uh, promoted to the Supreme Court. If it's unconstitutional, whether it's popular or not, you get rid of it. Lou, got to hold you there. Lou and Bill and Sue, great to have you this week. Wish we had another 30 minutes, but we'll have to postpone till next time. Folks, come back here next week as a lively experiment continues. Have a great week. Lively Experiment is generously underwritten by. For more than 30 years, a Lively Experiment has provided insight and analysis of important political issues that face Rhode Islanders. I'm John Hazen White Jr., and I'm proud to support this great program and Rhode Island PBS.